Okay. So it's Amy Vertries, uh, coach of the Common Thread. So we're going to start a group coaching with just a couple um, thoughts that came up actually with someone who is here um, on the call. It was about um, career changes, and it got me thinking a lot um, about career changes in general, um, because I think a lot of times if we're not really thinking and navigating about our career, we're somewhat reactionary to what's going on, or we're sort of living in the past. I certainly saw this with residents, um, you know, where the medical student is like studying and just kind of being told what to do. And then you have the intern who is like, I'm just getting all the tasks done. You know, I'm still studying and I'm learning a little bit sometimes in the operating room, but really I'm just, you know, doing the tasks. Um, but you have to do the tasks and you have to be available for the OR. And so that's a progress, the medical student to the intern. And then from the intern to the resident, the resident is now starting to do a little bit more patient management in the operating room, a little bit more, not so much doing the tasks. And you can see, and I can see the residents that get stuck in just, I'm, I'm just going to check off all the boxes. I'm going to still do the job that I had before, not really thinking about the job that they have now. And then um, as you become more senior a resident and certainly as a chief resident, now you're starting to manage others. So now it's not about doing the tasks. It's not just about getting the, um, the uh, information gathered and it's definitely in the OR still, but now you're managing the team. How are you getting people to work for you? Um, how are you checking up to make sure um, like the interns doing their tasks and the junior residents taking care of the, the, the folks on the floor and the more complicated things. Um, <clears throat> and you could tell that the people that get stalled um, and frustrated when they're trying to still do it all, when the chief resident is still trying to be the intern and, you know, take care of everything on the floor and, you know, manage everything. Um, so I saw that in residency, but it's interesting because I'm starting to see that in careers now too. Um, and I've noticed, uh, you know, some, some patterns of myself. So when you become a new attending, um, it's interesting, someone described that we're like um, appliances. <laughs> I forgot exactly the resource was, and it may not be exactly it, but the basic concept was, you know, you start off, you're brand new, you're not quite broken in yet. And then, you know, you're in the, the highlight of where it's working. And then, then you're like the outdated model. And I was like, well, that's probably, you know, uh, an interesting generalization of careers too. Uh, and as we're new attendings, um, and these are all like when you start working and all the thoughts that you're having, some of these things, you know, start to make a lot of sense um, of how we get into our own way. I mean, we are at the level we are. And, you know, you also want to think about the level you are, accept where you're at, recognize that you've passed a threshold where your previous job is not what it was. You know, you don't have that job anymore. You're currently in the career that you have. So stopping and enjoying it and being who you are right now and appreciating where you are is helpful, but then also being a little bit thoughtful about what's coming next. So you're not blindsided and it doesn't seem intimidating and it doesn't seem overwhelming or a bad thing um, and really seeing the trajectory of your natural career. So as a new attending, you're going to a new place, nobody expects you to fill the clinic. Nobody expects you to, to meet all of your RVUs. No one expects you to know everything. No one expects you to not call people. Um, it's the people that think they know everything or try to keep up with folks and have at the, the top of the clinic competing with a person who's been there for 10 years or who doesn't ask for help. Those are the ones that we worry about. They're not really working within the realm of the, the stage of the career you're at. And some of the, the um, thought errors that you could have is thinking, I have to do it all, 
or everyone's looking at me because I have to call or, you know, not anticipating some of the things that come up, you know, you're going to have a complication. Am I thinking ahead of how I'm going to deal with this? So then you're not blindsided and something unexpected happens. You know, you're ready for this, I, this complication, you know, that your, your, your character is, you know, characteristics, what would a good surgeon do if a complication happened? Recognize it right away, call for help, talk to the patient, think of the steps that you had, you know, look and assess, am I within the realm of reasonable for statistics? You know, uh, is there something I could have done better? And then recognize this happens and go on to the next case and find ways to move on from there. So it's the anticipation of things that come that are helpful. Uh, so, so I think well, we spend a little bit of time for new attendings because we know we need to support them. I see a lot of difficulty in mid-career surgeons of which I'm in a mid-career and really starting to understand where, um, where our pitfalls are. So when you become a new attending and, and even like a mid-attending, um, mid-career attending, when I'm, which I am, is looking in, and seeing like, trying to still act like the resident, you know, when the ER calls like, oh, I've got to do all this. It's overwhelming. I've got to do all these tasks and it's going to take me all night. And I've got to do all this and I can prepare. And then I start realizing I'm an, I'm an attending. And I can call a hospitalist if there's something overwhelming medical wise. And, you know, I can call the orders and that takes like five minutes. You know, I can go see them for a few minutes and I can schedule the next day. You know, these tasks are not overwhelming, but my thoughts about these are overwhelming. You know, I'm in, now I'm in the, for the long haul. I need to still have a life too. And so starting to compartmentalize some of these things and protecting some of the time, I can't be in the grind of surgery all the time. I have to start thinking, who am I as a person? You know, I'm a mother, I've got, I'm a wife, I've got hobbies, you know, trying to fit in those hobbies and being somewhat protective of the fact that now this is your life. You're not in training where you have to do the grind anymore. Um, you're not trying to be everything for everybody. Um, you have to I decide what is what you want your career to be. And this is where a little bit of challenge comes in is um, and why I've been fascinated with the concept of redefining success, because what does success really mean? You know, I, I gave a talk at the AWS on this two weeks ago. And, you know, when you look at the definition of success, it's achieving a role um, or identify a role or a purpose and, and achieving that. And so a lot of ways we determine, you know, what that aim or purpose is. And when we get into trouble is when we're still trying to do everything for everybody. I should do this. I should do that. I should be an academic. I should be doing research. You know, um, the, I should be doing clinical stuff all the time. And we make a lot of things mean something about us. <clears throat> and uh, someone a long time ago got a journal that says, well, I didn't publish this. And I'm starting to have, have this like, what, there's just nothing wrong with me because I feel like I should achieve. You know, where's that gold star feeling? And so I think a lot of us, after achieving stepwise progression, a linear progression in training, when you reach mid-career, there's the now there's like this web of different opportunities. And if you try to do all of these opportunities, you're not going to excel at anything. And then what happens is you don't excel at anything. And then you <clears throat> step back and say, where is that gold star feeling that I had before? I want that gold star feeling. You know, I'm used to that gold star feeling. And then you have to decide what your goal is and then achieve it. And what I've discovered um, is my goal to actually, you know, my success is, is taking patients from, you know, a problem, solving the problem, helping them out and, and being the best 
surgeon that I could be, which involves, you know, uh, good clinical care in the clinic, taking care of in the hospital, answering calls, you know, uh, working on patient handouts so they're well-informed, you know, communicating with their other doctors, things like that. So it's just the basic general um, clinical stuff, which doesn't look very glamorous, but at the same time, you know, that's really what I'm there for. And now I'm, you know, cultivating the, the po- folks that work with me um, and, you know, now becoming an entrepreneur for the coaching aspect, but also in the private practice too. So these are things that are a little bit, um, I wasn't quite sure how to do it. I knew why I wanted to do it. I wasn't sure how, but I've sort of evolved in learning how, the how part. Um, And then I'm starting to realize as I see several of the older surgeons around um, and the, uh, the, the different thoughts that come up there too, your career is changing. And if you're not recognizing that your career is, is starting to change, then you're going to be stuck in a few thought errors too, because it's naturally going to change you know, now like the resonant um, and the early attending is going to be in a little bit of a grind. You're ramping up, you're doing all the things for everybody. Mid-career starting to enjoy some of those things that you've reaped. Now you're having a little bit more of a life. You still have a really thriving clinical, clinical practice, but you have more of a life. And then as your clinical time progresses, um, I, the problem that I see with some of the older surgeons is that they don't have any other backup plan. They haven't really cultivated the life of the, the mid-career surgeon. And so all they have is surgery. So now they're starting to face their identity changing. And if your identity is all wrapped around being a surgeon, it's difficult to now look at how it starts to change. And what struck me about the call uh, the other day was, um, was what you had mentioned about um, the administration saying, um, they're going to, to want someone who's younger. They're, they'll get paid less or they'll do more for less, which is not really the administration talking to me. It really struck as like the inner voice that's coming up. Those are the, the fears that are bubbling up. When we think about what someone else is projecting onto us, it's actually what's kind of coming up in our mind. And so as you're facing the career changes, we know as we get older, like someone's going to come with new technology. I'm just starting to, you know, sort of adapt the robot stuff, which I wasn't really interested in doing before, but I do want to keep up with other folks. So you do want to keep up and you do want to be the person, you know, when you enjoy like being the pillar of the society, you know, where everyone's looking to you, you've had this career for a long time. When you're the, the surgeon that people come to, it's a little bit difficult to say like, here is this other person. They're in the grind mentality. They're ramping up their clinic. People are like looking at them now. And so what does that mean about me? I think really it's asking ourselves, what are we making these um, thoughts mean? And it almost, it always comes down to our self-worth. When you're a new attending, you wonder, am I worthy? Am I going to make mistakes? And am I worthy to do this on my own? And when you're there with other people, you're thinking I'm not worthy because they're more worthy. They're more, you know, doing more things or more experienced. Well, of course they are. They're in a different stage of your career. As a mid attending, you're like, I'm not worthy anymore. I'm not achieving something. You know, I had in my mind what this is. I'm looking at this web of different opportunities and I'm not reaching gold stars at all of those. What's well, not reasonable. That's the thought error. And as we get older in our career, it will change. Someone may come along into the community. They may start taking some of the patients away and that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's the feeling that I'm not worthy because someone else may be starting to do something that I'm doing. Um, it's recognizing what my worth is. I've been around for a long time. I've cultivated this practice. 
Um, I've gained a lot of experience. I have a lot to offer. Um, and my experience and knowledge in the community is valuable. Um, but I can also start thinking, maybe I'm starting to feel a little bit, I don't want to do the grind of attending anymore. <clears throat> I want to start paring down my practice. I want to still be honored in my community and I want to still be sought after, but maybe I want to start cultivating some of my um, other interests as well. The identity that's going to transition me to retirement and beyond. Um, and I talked uh, maybe a little bit longer than I expected, but really that, that it's been sparking my mind about, I've studied the resonant aspect of it too, but I'm starting to see the trajectory of attending life, which is pretty interesting. So I know I've said this many times before, y'all know I could talk all the whole hour, but I'm, not, I'm gonna try to hold off <laughs> in doing so. Does anybody want coaching? I think I'm just going to listen today because I, I talked so much before. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're probably like, I don't want just one coach. I'm used to three. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. It was um, interesting when um, we went through the, the coaching practice, Kelly was actually in my group um, and we met every Wednesday morning and we would have, gosh, how many were on this? Uh, like six or something, something. We had one class where I, I was the client and I got coached by everybody. And I, I said, this is the way to go. I want like six coaches all the time. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was a coaching party. Yeah, well, it's interesting because everyone offers different perspectives. Um, and you have all probably seen that, that Kelly, Jess and I um, have a lot of different things. We think differently. You know, it's interesting. We have like, I've described this before. We're like the Venn diagram where we all overlap and the, and the center aspect of it is, um, you know, what we have in common, but it's our differences. I think that add a lot um, to the conversation because Jess really is the, the warm, loving, motherly type. And I'm a little, yeah, I don't know. It's so easy to see everybody else. I'm not exactly, I think Jess described me as like the um, cutting like a surgeon or something like that. I thought, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see myself, but I, I see, and I see Kelly, you know, Kelly is the you know, come, let's think of all this, you know, she's, she's the deep, the, the stoic um, the study type and, and things like that too. And, and, you know, also working on her world, world famous aspect, you know, writing her books and doing her podcast and, uh, you know, getting invited to this and that. So she's going to be our world famous one, um, <laughs> she's, yeah, the video star. So anyway, we, we can see everybody else quite, quite can't quite see us. Um, I can go. I, yes. my kids are here and I am solo parenting tonight. So it might Ooh. be a little... Go for it. Um, so um, it, this actually pertains to my in-laws, but it kind of pertains to a bigger theme of um, like realizing you can't change other people's behavior, but it may, might affect the way that um, like you want. To, so when you want to have a relationship with someone, but mm -hmm. it's just not working out. Mm -hmm. that makes sense. And so tell me so, more. Yeah. So the situation is that, um, my husband is from the Midwest and we live in New York and, um, the rest of his family is in the Midwest <clears throat> and they're just really not very good at getting together. And when they do, it seems to be like unorganized and spur of the moment, which can kind of work out for them because they can all drive. Mm -hmm. But for example, this last weekend, they told us Wednesday, hey, why don't you come this weekend? And we have two little kids. We both are physicians. It's like <clears throat> we'd have to fly. <clears throat> it's like just about impossible to do. And that's like a specific example, but they've done it 
over the year, 10 years that we've been married. Mm-hmm. And I feel a little bit, so some of what I'm feeling is guilty because we live by my family and not by my husband's. And mm-hmm. I feel that he uh, is sad about that when we don't see his family. But then also, I think I feel left out too. Like, and, and rationally, I know it's not intentional, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter how many times you try to explain to them what we need, you know, in order to be able to meet up, it doesn't happen. So I've gotten to the point where I don't even try, mm-hmm. you know, well, you know, if they don't follow my, <clears throat> my needs, you know, then, <laughs> then we don't do it. And then I'm less feeling sad that we don't have as good a relationship as we want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, it sounds like that there's this, the situation, I think the circumstances, is there a specific one? Like, guess this weekend. So I guess they call and yeah. so the, the call, the circumstances they call and say, you know, come this weekend with, you know, four days notice. Two days notice. Yeah. Two days notice. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what do you think when they call and, and they say, um, I think, are you kidding? <laughs> and, and I think there's, my first thought is, is like, I just don't know how I'm going to pull that off. So we're just not going to do it. And, and then I started thinking, why didn't you call us earlier? And, you know, <clears throat> yeah, all those things. Yeah. And so what is the one, what's the thought that bothers you most? So you mentioned, you know, there's the, um, are you kidding? Um, why didn't you call earlier? Mm-hmm. What are the thoughts? You know, give me all the thoughts that you have. And let's pick out the one that bothers you most. Yeah, I think it's the repetitive behavior. I even tried to reach out to them a couple of weeks ago to figure out what the plan might be, you know, because mm-hmm. I had heard some inkling that people might be getting together, but it wasn't nailed down. And so I tried to reach out early and they said, oh, we'll let you know. So they let me know two days ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so of these things, like, you know, are you kidding? Why didn't you call earlier and oh, this again? <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, I've, I've tried and it sounds like I've tried and, and they don't appear to be trying. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And then we feel left out. Yeah. And then, so I guess the thought is like, I'm feeling left out or what is the one that bothers you the most? Yeah. I'm feeling left out. And I think really what bothers me is, and it's, since we're working on my thoughts is feeling like not respected or like they must yeah. not care enough to, to plan ahead, mm-hmm. knowing that that's what we need. Yeah. So you're not respecting me. Yeah. Do you, um, so it sounds like, you know, I, I'm getting really strong, you know, vibes from I'm feeling left out and you're not respecting me, which is yeah. the one that seems to be bothering you the most. Um, I think, I think it's more the left out because if I could make it work, I would, you know, like I would, I would take the time to make things that are difficult and I would do it, but there's a line I have, you know, that I have to draw. (laughs) I can't put us all on a plane in two days and, you know, we don't have the day off already and all that type of stuff. So I was on call this weekend, so they didn't even, you know. (laughs) Yeah. And so like when they call and they tell you, okay, we're getting together in two days and you're have this thought of, I'm just, I'm, you know, I guess I'm feeling left out. How does this make you feel? Um, sad. I wish I could be more specific than that. Sad is very 
um, dejected. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And why is it that you, you're feeling dejected? You know, what is it about feeling um, left out that bothers you? What do you feel like you're missing? If you're left out from what? Yeah, so uh, from, there's a lot of things I feel like we miss out when we don't get together with them. My kids don't get to know their cousins as well. We don't get to see his brothers and sisters. They're enjoyable people. We enjoy it <laughs> when we go. Right. So. And then um, it also seems like there's some underlying things of like, you know, do you wonder if they're doing this on purpose or, you know, or why aren't they, you know, being more considerate for you? Yeah, more considerate. I, I realize they're not probably doing it on purpose but it doesn't seem like they're having much forethought about it either. And if they cared more than they would. Yeah. And so this, this idea is like, I'm feeling left out and it's almost, you know, and the feeling left out is like, I'm feeling they just don't care. I mean, I'm left out and they're okay with it. Right. Yep. Yeah. All right. And so when you're, you know, feeling this emotion of feeling dejected, what are some of the things that you do or don't do? Um, I usually just give up and I say, well, I guess we're not going to get together with them. <clears throat> but then I continue to think back on that. I feel sad that we're not having those family uh, moments and relationships and stuff like that. Right. And so you're spending time with them. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In your mind, you're spending lots of time with them. All the, all, you know, it seems like you're thinking of all the times you could have and how they, that it's not getting uh, happening. And so when you, you know, give up and then you think about all these, you know, missed opportunities, um, you know, what is the result for you that's happening? Um, I get more discouraged when I think like that, less likely to find a way to make it work, make it work for sure. And it's interesting because you mentioned um, in the past that you reached out to them and said, you know, like any more notice and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what is, do you have any, uh, ability to schedule anything? You mean have them come here? Yeah. Or you say I'm coming here on this weekend. I'm showing up your weekend, get a bed ready. Oh yeah. We've done that. And it'll be like just his parents, which is fine. You know, the, the get togethers, I think I'm really missing are all of them because there's four siblings and that's obviously challenging sure to get them all together in the first place uh I guess we could visit them individually (laughs) it's tough because it seems like um the so when you're you know kind of this idea of like it sounds like it's difficult overall so I guess what you're what I'm listening or hearing from your conversation is that um there's all these family members all around and it's difficult to coordinate everybody all together it is. Yeah. And it's easier for them because they live closer and can drive and we're the exception. Right. And, um, in the past when you've tried to schedule something ahead of time, it, I guess it's difficult to coordinate with everyone. Yeah. We don't get responses and, um, just doesn't seem to happen. Right. And, um, what you, what could you do to change um, the, like, it sounds like who is coordinating, I should say, who is coordinating the, the get togethers of everyone? Is this well, 
yeah, there isn't a point person and that's probably why they don't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm definitely like interested in troubleshooting this and, and getting them to know. But part of what I was looking at is sometimes people's behavior is just difficult. And sometimes you decide that it's not worth bending over backwards, you know, anymore. And so I've kind of gotten to that point, but then I feel sad about it still. Yeah. Um, so deciding when I should keep working at the relationship versus just accepting it for what it is and mm-hmm. feeling okay with that mm-hmm. is a difficult spot for me to be. And maybe it just takes some journaling and thinking about it. But Well, I mean, I think that you have the answer here um, a little bit in your, your current you know, unintentional model that we're looking at is that, you know, the, because it seems like this is kind of a repetitive pattern. So the the circumstance is, this is, you know, similar to others where you get no notice. And the thought is that, you know, all this again, you know, it kind of goes a little bit, all these things are kind of playing into this um, to where, you know, it leading you to feeling these, these dejected, and then your actions of, you know, kind of giving up and then, you know, being more discouraged. And so it seems like, like each episode, you come more and more discouraged. And so you feel like you just, I'm just not gonna try anymore. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And, but it's interesting though, that when you look at the details of this too, so when you look at the details of what has happened before, it sounds like there's never really been a point person and that you have, and so we look at our thought download, you don't really have a point person everyone lives in different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, you know, this, this thought that it's easier for them because they could drive. However, when you think about it, if you make a plan to go there, do you think that they could, you know, would they find it then easy to drive? Maybe um, we've had mixed results with that in the past. The, and that's interesting when you think of the, the time where, you know, you put something on the schedule and you say, okay, we are going to work all of our magic here and mm-hmm. we're going to come up with this weekend and mm-hmm. we're going to go here and it's easier for you guys because you can drive mm-hmm. and they don't come. How do you feel? Annoyed that I took time off and went there and they didn't come. <laughs> yeah. And so it sounds like this is like a little bit, a longer pattern than, than just this, this one weekend. Yeah. Um, because in, in what's happened, and this is probably true, I think for most families, um, you know, that have extended to try to get together and especially life with kids gets hard. Mm-hmm. And so, um, they may actually be having, um, some trouble, even though, um, your perception is that it's easier for them to drive. Maybe it's not. Right. And so the, um, in the past, it seems like you may be making, some of their actions or inactions mean something about you, which is damaging the relationship. And then they may feel actually the same way. Like, well, we told them two days notice. And I think that's perfectly fine. They didn't even go. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so basically everyone's in the corner going, they're just not even trying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there any room of, of possibility for that? Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking this cause I like to, I mean, I probably should think through specific models, but I like to apply, apply them more broadly too, you know? So mm-hmm. if 
it's what I really want, then there may be ways to continue to troubleshoot it. Well, and I think, so let's go to what you really want. What do you like, let's look at what the R line. So what is the R line, the result line that you truly, truly want? Uh, Yeah, I would like us for his four siblings and all their kids and his parents to get together once a year. That would be great. Okay. Um, And have you, um, does anyone know that this is uh, a goal that you have? Um, I've mentioned it to his parents. Um, his family is completely different than mine. And I'll admit, mm-hmm. um, I am always a little afraid of my behavior. Cause I, you know, like I'm an East coaster in the Midwest. And so, um, I, sometimes I already think they think I'm too pushy. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. So you see, yeah. that's an interesting thought that popped out, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this, this happens to me too, all the time. I like start talking like, oh no, no, this is what I'm working at. And like, oh, where did that come from? Damn it. That's right. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So in, in some ways, you know, if you're in the back of your mind telling yourself, I don't want them to think I'm too pushy, but yeah. you, know, you look at this family going, they need somebody to be pushy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what if, um, you know, if you communicate your idea of this is what I really want, you know, if you go to them and you say, this is really, really what I want, it'd be really great for us to get together. Um, all the four siblings, our cousins, and it'd really be great for us to get together. Um, what are some of the actions that you could do to make that happen? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll admit in my family, my mother's the, the point person and she, uh, I don't wanna use nags, but <laughs> nags us until we all agree <laughs> to a date. And a you need an effective point person. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if you were to identify an effective point person, effective leader in this, mm-hmm. who would it be in your family? Um, it might actually be my sister-in-law, Jane. Um, she could probably handle it. She's good at planning trips and things. Yeah. And how about you? Have you thought about you being as a point leader? Yeah, I, I think it's my fear of being too pushy. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, the, the goal is the result and the action is finding a point person. Um, you know, you could look at the ideas of saying like, well, I don't want them to see, think that I'm too pushy. So I'll just, I'll make Jean do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, that, that being said is that maybe, you know, really question yourself and, and, and question what you know of everyone in the family and say, you know, do they need a pushy person or am I, you know, should I just, you know, recruit someone who I know could do a good job that, that would, you know, be good for everyone as a whole. So, you know, you may be right and you may be wrong. It's honestly, it's just a thought. Um, but if you keep the end goal in mind of this is what I really want, it doesn't matter who the, the, the effective point person is just that there is one. Right. And maybe it could even just be an effective team, but really, um, you know, one of the, what are the, some of the other actions that you could do to make it effective? So having an point, uh, effective point leader or a team, what other actions could you do to help ensure that you guys get together once a year? You know, we probably could use our group text more. 
we have a group text, but a lot of this tends to happen amongst individuals. And if we have it all in one stream, then it would probably help. Mm -hmm. yeah. What would be like the emotion or the energy driving um, that, uh, like the, the text messages that, you know, using the technology? Um, I don't know. Um. <laughs> so, you know, if what is the emotion that that would that you would need to have to lead to this result of getting everyone together once a year? Oh yeah, I'm just I'm really looking for um, like connection and excitement. I guess. Um, mm -hmm. um, it val I mean, family is something. Family relationships are something I was I've always valued. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, and I think an action would be communicating that value. Yeah. So, and you can see where this is you know, starting to shape up, you know, if you're excited about it and, you know, you're using this technology that you have um, and you're communicating, you know, your excitement about this, how do you think other people are going to respond to that? Yeah. I don't think I've sat down and had like an authentic genuine conversation about like the value and the emotions around it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, I think that, I think everyone is, is, I think you're exactly hit the nail on the head. Everyone's like in their own little groupings of things. And sometimes it's hard to see outside your own snow globe. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, you can imagine, so they're in their own snow globe and you kind of like knock on the door and say like, hey, wouldn't this be really cool for us to get together and our kids, you know, it's really important for me for, you know, my kids know your kids and you come at it from like excitement, not like this dejected. Well, I mean, you can come if you want. I know you're not going to. And <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I do it now, 10 years in. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and it's, it's to not be discouraged by all those previous times. Right. Um, and so what would be the thought that you would have to, to have to lead to this excitement um, about getting together? Yeah, I think I need to keep that at the forefront. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's why you go from the unintentional model to the intentional, because mm -hmm. feeling that like, the thought I have is that I want to get our families together because I want us to have connection and to have, you know, yeah. good relationships. Yeah. I want to, to, um, have these connections. Yes. Yeah. Because when you think to yourself, I want to have these connections, then what do you feel about the obstacles in your way? They're less significant because it stands in the way of of getting what, especially my fear of being pushy. <laughs> that one's less important. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, and that's an interesting thought that comes up because when you think about it, you know, it's, we're worried about what other people think, but if you keep this thought forefront in your mind and you keep the end result that you want in your mind of, I just, I want us to be connected. I want you to see how pushy I am. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think, telling them why I don't, you know, I, we tell them we want to get together, but nobody, we never sat down and talked about the why, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think people know it, but to actually talk about it, mm -hmm. it puts it at the forefront and hard, it's hard for them to um, say they don't know, or, you know, it, it reminds them as well, you know? 
Exactly. And I think that's the thing is, is, you know, when you do get caught up in everything, um, you know, because they're, you know, if you think of their models, they're probably also thinking, I remember that time we're supposed to get together and I couldn't, I feel a little bit guilty. And, you know, they may actually have a lot of their own feelings of dejection and, and um, overwhelm and things like that too. But when you kind of gain people like and bring people in and say, wouldn't it just be really great to do this? And this is really why I want to do it. Um, is I really just want to make sure that we stay connected um, because you're really, you know, you start opening yourself up, but then you're also, you know, inviting them in um, as well. And I think it's that, that connection that you're missing. Um, and you can actually even start with that connection now when you approach it with this excitement and, you know, your excitement is like translated into these text messages. And wouldn't this be great to get together? And I'm really excited about this and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and, you know, kind of not really pushing aside, but acknowledging the fact that you're worried about being pushy, but it's not being pushy to want to be connected. Um, right. You know, just not letting that fear of how other people may think of you interfere with something that you, you know, you think everyone would benefit from all this. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's a common goal. And so you may have an effective point leader just logistically, but if you make it a team effort, then everyone's kind of invested in the outcome. Yeah. I realize a lot of this comes back to vulnerability again. Allowing <laughs> yeah. yourself to be vulnerable. <laughs> and I think that it's worth taking a look at this and saying like, what happens if they, if I decide, okay, I'm going to approach this with excitement. I'm going to mm-hmm. come up with this plan and I want them to be involved and they still don't. Right. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to think of that? Yeah. Um, uh, at least I tried. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the, if you approach it with curiosity, that mm-hmm. may get you far. So if you say like, I want to get together and they don't, and, but you still want to maintain that connection. What are some ways that you could still, you know, be connected and not, and have it look a little different? True. Kind of like what I was talking about earlier, visit them independently or maybe even via videos and stuff as opposed to in person. That's yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really, again, it's, it's keeping the end goal in mind, but being somewhat flexible and giving a lot of compassion and approaching things with curiosity, both about our, how we act and how other people act is probably the, a key into, you know, getting what we want, which is what you want is connection. You want your cousins mm-hmm. to know each other. Mm-hmm. You know, the pandemic actually taught us a lot of those things. Um, yeah. but mm-hmm. I too have an extended family and our, our cousins, they do the, the video. Now the kids are older and they have their own technology. And so sometimes mm-hmm. even just one visit can spark more. And so there's lots of ways to be connected. Um, and it's, uh, when your end goal is I'm excited, I want us to be connected then the result may actually even look a little bit different. It may not be getting together. Like you said, it may be getting together individually or getting together digitally and building that excitement and working on the relationship and the connection to where then everyone's like, wouldn't it be great to get together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's building that excitement. It may just look a little bit different than you think. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, very helpful. I think the key takeaways for me is, I didn't want to be vulnerable. That was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And then being flexible at the end goal. End goal. It doesn't have to look a specific way, yeah. you know? 
those perfectionist tendencies sometimes. Girl. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's really, you know, and this is where this, the thought model especially could be so powerful. It's like when you do these thoughts, you're already kind of seeing the vulnerability. You're seeing like the, the self-critical aspect of it. You know, the perfectionist tendency, you know, telling yourself you're too pushy. You know, the, well, I don't want people to see this. And in some ways it's a little bit safer to be at home. Now you don't have to put yourself out there. Um, mm-hmm. So there's definitely a lot that's um, underlying this that's, that comes up when you really start thinking about it. But when you think of the end goal in mind, isn't it just so much more exciting, you know, so much more fun to think of excitement and connection than it is to say, I wonder what they're thinking about me. Um, mm-hmm. When you start thinking, about, I wonder what I think about them. You know, it, when you get <laughs> excited about something different, it really changes everything. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. So totally. that, uh, good luck with that too. I'm excited oh. to see how that goes. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> Good. Yes. Um, all right. We have about 15 minutes. Anybody else interested in a little bit of coaching? Got about 15 minutes. I just want to see you look at you. Well, um, something now. I wanted to point out something that I did was a little bit different um, of going like from one model to like an unintentional to an intentional. And I actually went backwards. Um, we can do this a lot when we try to find the um, end goal, the end result that we want. Um, we may not know exactly how to get there, but if we know the end goal we want, and this is true for our career, for ourselves, um, you know, a relationship we have, knowing, you know, what do we want to get out of it? Or what do we want to feel? Um, you can enter the model anyway, and then the other steps become really obvious. Um, so if you think, you know, I want to, uh, let's say you're trying to decide um, on a job. Uh, the interesting aspect is, um, let's see, is anyone like looking at a job change or difference in jobs or anything like that? It may help to have a specific example. I can probably give you one. Okay. All right. Go for it. Um, so I did, I loved where I did fellowship and it was sort of my dream to be invited to stay there as an attending. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen just because of multiple things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about three weeks ago, I'm now in a job that I love doing different things than I am now. Um, but I got approached because somebody is leaving and they asked if I wanted to go back and teach at my fellowship program. Mm. Um, and it's hard because my fellowship program is relatively well known. And so my ego is definitely stroked by the idea mm-hmm. <laughs> that I could come back and sort of be wanted. And the fact that it's now been six years since fellowship. And when my fellowship director called, he's like, you know, I know you're happy where you're at, but your name just keeps coming up. Mm -hmm. And he's like, so, you know, I don't want to rock the boat for you. I don't want to make you unhappy, but at the same time, it'd be really nice to get you back here. Um, That's a tough one. That's a tough one because my initial thought was like, well, no, I'm happy here. I like my job. I've been here almost two years. So I finally feel like I know where the bathroom is and sort of (laughs) (laughs) 
how to navigate where everything is, but at the same time, it's a, it, it's a sexy lure back because I have really great memories from fellowship and my fellowship director is still one of my amazing mentors who I talk to a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, what's coming up for you when you try to think of this choice? Um, I mean, it's one of those where it's hard because right now, my job now, if you would ask me how to describe how I would like to set up my job, how I would like to set up my life, what I would want in a chairman, what I would want in partners, I pretty much have it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so then when I first start thinking that, I'm like, well, this is an easy decision. The answer is no. I mean, this is stupid, you know, that I'm even thinking about this. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, but, you know, just think of all the perks that would come you know, just think of all the perks and think about what you could do and what have you. And then I counter with, right, but you wouldn't be doing these other areas that you really like doing and you're really good at. And you'd be moving to a larger city, which is also the same city where your mother-in-law lives. (laughs) How do you feel about that? Uh, It's a little closer than I would like. We do pretty well with the twice a year visit Mm -hmm. and a lot of thought work the week of and before. So the main idea of going back to where you're in fellowship, um, the thoughts Mm -hmm. that it sounds like they're coming up, um, it was your ideal place, maybe not now. Um, You know, you felt initially, it sounded like you felt like a little bit, you wanted to stay. So maybe a little bit of rejection underlying, but now they're like, oh, now they want me back. Hmm." Exactly. And finally, they came to their senses. Finally, they came to their senses. (laughs) And it sounds like though, like if you knew that you would be successful and, and exactly, you know, what you wanted on both places, which would you choose? If you knew you were going to be successful either place. I would probably stay here more from the rest of my family. You know, my husband and my daughter would probably be happier here, which will also make me happier here. Mm -hmm. Um, And and part of what would hold me up, well, there's two things, you know, one is I finally feel like I have a balance between work and home Mm -hmm. and that balance does not exist where I did fellowship, which at the time I was single and not dating anybody. So it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was for a year. Ah, so this ideal job that you had in mind when you left fellowship is not so ideal after all. Right. Yeah. Well, it may have been an ideal job for me five, you know, six years ago, mm-hmm. but now that there's a husband who has to find a job and there's a daughter and everything associated with it you know so one of the thoughts that keeps coming up is you know I already feel like an absentee mom here and that's just going to get worse if I go there Hmm. so it seems like you you've made your decision how do you feel about it I feel I you know I know it's the right decision it's just the me from six years ago keeps like coming back and is like are you freaking joking (laughs) (laughs) Don't, don't you want to revisit this? Don't you want to go back and look at some of this? Don't do you? 
I mean, I think every time I go through and I do, you know, and I've done thought downloads and things on it, I still end up at the same conclusion. Well, you know, it would be fun to go and investigate. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's the right choice. I don't, and I think some of it is it's, I'm almost a little sad that I'm having to get up, you know, give up me from six years ago, but that's one of the, I'm like, you know, but my friends aren't there anymore. My sister's not there anymore. The life that I lived isn't there anymore. So what is it really that I'm other than my ego being stroked, which is really nice. (laughs) (laughs) What if you just take that? that that's pretty much been my takeaway from it is one of those you know but again like me from six years ago every once in a while like at two o'clock in the morning will reappear and be like really you sure about this one now though um are is your six years ago self now exactly what you think it is are you looking back with rose-colored glasses oh I'm sure I probably am Mm mm-hmm I'm sure I probably am. So what do you think your, um, your six years ago self is saying? I think my, myself from six years ago still felt like there was a lot to prove Mm -hmm. and was still looking for a lot more external validation and got pretty beat up in residency and fellowship was sort of the first time I felt validated externally that, you know, I was a good surgeon and I was someone that was fun to work with. And I, you know, worked well with the team as opposed to what I had been told for six years, which Mm. was not that. Yes. Okay. So I think, (laughs) I think we have the thought that's coming up here. So circumstance is job offered. And the thought is I'm finally being validated for all the hard work I did. Yeah. How does it make you feel when you think that? Honestly, it makes me feel kind of sad because with all the thought work and everything that I've done, I mean, it's nice, but I feel a lot more like, I mean, I'm a badass surgeon, whether people think so or not, whether I'm at a fancy place or not. Why does it make you feel sad? Because again, the me from six years ago would have died for someone to tell her she was doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that no, I... fueled me for like a week. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you're sad for this person from six years ago. Yeah. Well, there's such a great lesson in all this. Um, and so you have this job that's offered that you thought you wanted. You're Mm -hmm. finally being validated and you're sad for this person six years ago, because what you're really deciding is that you didn't know what you wanted six years ago. You didn't know what you really need. You're seeking this, this idea that you had to be externally validated. Um, But you six years now in the present don't need this external validation anymore. I mean, or, and just the thought that like, I mean, yeah, my ego would be stroked and that's, and it's great. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And Lord knows that everyone likes when their ego is stroked. Um, but that's pretty much as far as I want to take it. Yeah. And so, you know, it seems like though, that the thought that's leading to this sad for this person, um, this woman that was used six years ago 
it seems like the thought was that she had to be externally validated. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you think of this, um, you know, you have this job offer that you wanted and your thought was in the past, you needed that to be externally validated, You're kind of feeling sad for this person that you were six, six years ago. What is that? What are the actions that you're doing from this, that place of feeling sad for this person six years ago? I think I keep, I keep spinning because I feel like then I keep coming up with 20 more reasons why where I am now is totally fine. Instead of just focusing on the fact that I am, well, I am, and I am not the same person that I was six years ago. Yeah. So like the action is that you're, you're spinning a little bit, but you're also reminding yourself you're not that same person. Mm -hmm. And when you remind yourself, you're not that same person, how do you feel about yourself now? I'm pretty proud of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It feels a lot less like a house of cards where if one person says something mean or bad or horrible that it's gonna turn into a two to three week shame spiral, beat myself up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, when we look at the model here, like offer the job you always wanted and your thought is, that six years ago, I needed to be externally validated. And here it is. You said kind of feeling a little bit sad with this person you were six years ago, but looking back and somewhat of regret. Uh, but the action that you have is that, although you, you're kind of spinning a little bit, but you're also reminding yourself that you're not the same person that you were six years ago. Um, and this result of all this, you'd think this would be like, you know, somewhat negative, but at the same time, it's you're proud of who you are now and you're reminding yourself that you're not who you were six years ago. Um, and this is really fantastic because we talk a lot about looking at your future self. What would your future self tell you? And it's interesting because, you know, imagine who you were six years ago, if you're sitting here coaching and we're saying, what do I do? I didn't get the job at a fellowship that I wanted. I wanted to be here. And, you know, we tell ourselves all the time, it's like, what would your, six year from now self tell, tell you, and then maybe um, something for you to do is to kind of write a letter back to that six person or the person you were six years ago and just say, I know that you don't know exactly how this is gonna turn out, but just trust me when I say, you're no longer gonna need this job. When you get out of this environment, when you progress in your career and look back, you're gonna be so proud of yourself because you did it yourself. And you didn't need that external validation. You didn't need someone to tell you what to do. Um, and so then that's just our natural progression. We don't know at the time. And it's not fair for us to look back and judge ourselves or you know, find fault because we did the best we could at the time. But we have the luxury now of looking back and saying, look how far I've come. Not look how terrible I was before, but look how far I've come. You know, this was a natural progression and you missed the beginning of it, but we talked about these uh, career um, progressions and it's so fascinating that you just, you know, fell right into that too, because we sometimes get stuck in the position we're supposed to be in. Young attending, I'm supposed to be better than I am. I'm looking for other people to tell me what to do. Mid-career, all these decisions, what am I going to do? And the later career is, 
now, you know, I need to face the, my identity changing a little bit, but it doesn't have to be negative. Maybe I can choose the practice that I want. I don't have to worry about money anymore. I don't have to worry about prominence. I'm prominent. I can now start doing things that, that um, I want to do and still maintain some of this, but I don't have to do the grind that I did before. Um, and so rather than, you know, judging yourself or, or feeling bad about your, uh, yourself six years ago, maybe it was exactly how it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. But I think, you know, kind of sitting and being proud of where you're at right now is not a terrible place to be. No, it's not. It's not a normal emotion that comes jumping straight to mind. <laughs> well, it wasn't one in the past. <laughs> yeah. Me from oh. six years ago would have been like, what the hell, yo? <laughs> but what a great opportunity. Now you can start feeling proud of yourself all the time. I know. Because you have something to compare yourself to now. Yeah. Your, your past self. And just now, oh, here, here is your homework since we're out of time. What is your future self six years from now going to tell you now? Isn't that fun to think about? Hopefully not. What the hell, yo. (laughs) But why not? Why not? What the hell, yo? Because that just means that we're not going to be static six years. In six years, we're going to be exponentially more amazing than we are right now. What the hell? Why not? I like that idea. (laughs) (laughs) Dream big, sister. Well, good luck and enjoy the ego stroking. We don't get it all the time, but I think that your past self has given you a gift to remind yourself of where you're at. And so just think about what your future self might gift you right now. Sounds like I have a thought download to do. (laughs) Good. Hope to hear from you soon. Definitely. All right. Y'all have a good one. And thanks for speaking up guys. I know this is tough. Thank you. Bye.